The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. This is the Disability Law Show. All right, good evening. We are back, and so are you. Good for uh, good to have you along for the next half hour. Disability Law Show, indeed. Savan Tumarkin, of course, is here, co-founding partner, Samfiru Tumarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in this country, so reach out anytime. Albert Klein, partner here as well. And uh, the number, anytime, guys, I'm telling you, write it down, keep it. Eventually, you'll probably want to have it with you. That would be one 821 5900 if we get some emails on the show tonight uh, that is help at disabilityrights.ca and for any other time you want to ask some questions uh, anonymously by the way my disabilityquestions.com it's searchable so you can see if your question has been uh, asked and answered in the past if not leave it there and a member of the team will get to it uh topic for discussion if we get to this in a couple minutes will be importance of documentation you bet we'll get into that but firstly uh, the week that was case of the day savannah what do you got for us pal John, great to be with you and with our audience. Uh, I had uh, an interesting, uh, interesting week. Um, I actually went to dinner uh, just yesterday um, with a very good friend of mine who is a defense lawyer. So he works on behalf of insurance companies. I've known him since law school. Hmm. Really good guy, very good lawyer, works for one of the largest insurance companies in the country. And, you know, it's interesting to me sometimes to get together with my friends, especially from the other side of the aisle, and talk to them about interesting cases, not cases we have against each other, but cases that they've had against some of our other colleagues. And he was telling me about a case, and I, I can talk about it because this case went all the way to trial, which, by the way, it's very difficult. It's very rare for these cases, personal injury cases, disability cases, to go to trial in Canada. It's not like the movies, you know, the legal shows where every case go to court. It, it doesn't happen. It's extremely rare. Uh, but this one that he was handling on behalf of the insurance company did go to court last year. And what was interesting about it is that um, it was a dog bite case. So huh. the plaintiff, the claimant was 60s from, from uh, just northern Ontario here. Um, not very north, but uh, I think around maybe the Bay Area area. And uh, she, she suffered a, a partial rotator cuff tear. So it's a shoulder tear, significant injury. Uh, she was still working at the time, and she took some time off. She went back to work, but she was somewhat compromised in terms of the kind of work she could do. She was doing a, a physical-type job. And, uh, you know, she had surgery on her shoulder, and she recovered to an extent, but she still had lingering issues with her shoulder because of this dog bite. And the insurance company that my friend was representing uh, took a fairly hard-line position. They said, look... Yes, the dog bit you. Yes, the owner is responsible automatically. Okay, it's it's strict liability or absolute liability here in Ontario. And what that means is that we don't even have to figure out if the owner was at fault or not. Under the uh, Dog Owners Liability Act, if your dog bites someone or hurts someone, you are immediately automatically responsible for those injuries and losses. And so in that case, the real issue was the quantification of damages. What are the losses? What are the injuries? And you think to yourself, okay, this was a significant bite. Uh, I mean, the lady survived, obviously, and, and she went back to work at some point. But she, she still has some issues. She had a surgery, etc. John, uh, the insurance company uh, made a mistake here. They they misassessed, uh, um, I guess, the, the uh, exposure if this went in front of a judge. 
Mm. And it did go in front of a judge. Do you want to guess how much this lady ended up getting at the end of the day? Or, or let's say how much the case ended up worth it. Or, or, uh, how much? The company ended up paying out on this case. How much? Well, just give me a guess. Just throw it. Uh, 20K. You <laughs> 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 would have said that? 50K. Right? Wow. This case, the insurance company wrote a check for over 600 oh my god <laughs> by the time this thing went all the way up yeah jeez remember i talked to the lawyer my friend excellent lawyer excellent lawyer who lost that case he's the one who made that and we talked about that case and the ins and outs and what happened and the reason i'm telling this to the public here and this is why i want the listeners to understand is that when we represent injured individuals whether it's a dog bite case whether it's a car accident slip and fall, anything where you have been injured or God forbid someone you know, a loved one has been killed through the negligence of others. We have laws in this province, in this country that allow you to get compensation for that. No one is going to be able to bring that person back. No one's going to be able to get, you know, to, to, to uh, go after whoever caused the accident and force them to uninjure you. Mm-hmm. Can't do so all that's left is going after them for compensation, pain and suffering, income loss, potential disadvantage in terms of your ability to earn income in the future if you've been able to go back but not to the same capacity at your work. Maybe you need certain treatments, rehabilitation treatments. Maybe you don't have benefits for work or you need more treatments for which you have benefits for. Chiropractic, massage, a whole bunch of things. Maybe you have family members, friends, people you've hired to help you around your home. All these things, all these expenses, all these services are compensable. The insurance company that insures whoever caused the accident is responsible for compensating you. But you must know how to proceed and how to actually engage the insurance company that is, at the end of the day, going to potentially write you a check to compensate you for your injuries and losses. The other thing I wanted to mention here, John, is that the law firm that was successful here wasn't us. It wasn't our case. Uh, it's a very good law firm. And, and, you know, one thing that came to mind is that many cases are, are decided on a, a, uh, a uh, the basis, not decided, but the quantums uh, of the cases, how much the insurance company ends up paying, mm-hmm. a lot of time is affected by who is representing the injured claimant. Right. How good is that lawyer? How good is that law firm? How much money does that law firm have to invest in these cases? And I can tell you the reputation counts. Insurance companies make decisions many times in terms of when to settle, how to settle, how much to settle for on the basis on who is representing the other side, how much gravitas, how much experience the other side has. And one of the things that I'm very proud of about our firm, about our team, is that we have tremendously experienced lawyers who focus on disability work, long-term disability, personal injury, the serious kinds of injuries that affect people's lives, that turn them upside down. We are known in the industry. We are known in the bar. We are known across Ontario, by the way, but also in BC and Alberta. We are known as very, very strong advocates, lawyers, paralegals. We have a huge team, a very strong team. That's what we do day in and day out. And if you are in that situation, listening to us, uh, you know someone who needs this kind of help after a car accident, after a slip and fall, something like that, and you want to get advice for free, we are here for you, John. You're going to give the contact information we talk to people day in and day out, give them the information they need to make sure that they understand what their options are, 
We never pressure you to do anything, but by the time you, 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 you finish the conversation with us, you know exactly what your options are, what you can do, and what the insurance company should be paying you. Phone call simple, right? 1-855-821-5900, help at disability rights.ca. That's something you've often mentioned, especially when, uh, you know, whatever insurance company, you know, just pick one out of the skies event when they see the name of your firm on that last page and they, people don't know that they'll up the reserve going, okay, this is going to be uh, this is going to be some work for us. So we better be prepared from a financial standpoint to deal with, you know, San Firo to Mark and whereas some other firms would be like, ah, these guys, we can take these guys down. No problem. Right. Absolutely. John, you're absolutely correct. And I can tell you that it's not just our disability lawyers our injury lawyers, it's our employment lawyers too. Right. I mean, we have a focus at the firm on employment law, on long-term disability law, and on serious injury cases. And we are known in the industry, and insurance companies know that, and they understand that when we say we're going to take a case all the way if we need to, they know we're serious. We're not going to sell out our clients. We're going to put all our resources, all our experience, our entire team behind the case. And that gets results. That's the reality. So when you actually retain us to uh, make sure we represent you on your family, it's not just us that you are uh, um, retaining, it's really reputation. That's really what you are getting there. And that reputation goes a very, very long way, John. I can tell you even when I was doing defense work many years ago, I would be advising the insurance companies that I was working for whether or not they should be paying X or Y for the exact same case depending on which lawyer was on the file, which law firm was on the file. That's just the reality. Any insurance adjuster, any defense lawyer that tells you that's not the case is lying as far as I'm concerned. It's just, it's just not true. Some lawyers, some law firms have such a reputation, such a fierce reputation in the industry that insurance companies are simply afraid to take them on. And when they take them on, they usually lose. So you got to be very careful which law firm, which lawyer you, you end up selecting because that could be a major swing up or down in terms of compensation that you end up getting. Albert, last couple of minutes before we uh, take a break and get into what you wanted to talk about. You got any comments uh, about that to add to what Savannah was just talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually did just settle a couple dog bite cases this week, and uh, unfortunately, we're seeing it more and more. I think probably a lot of pandemic puppies coming out uh, uh, over over the last COVID period. But it's 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 just interesting from a legal perspective, right? Because really. Any time that a dog bites another person, at law, usually you have to prove that the person that injured you is actually at fault. But in these dog bite cases and in other types of legal cases, under the law, they're essentially assumed to be at fault. And that's what happens in these dog bite cases. Every time that someone is bitten, they should absolutely be pursuing it. Because usually at law, these are the types of cases that are easy to prove at least from a liability perspective. Not to say that every case is definitely a slam dunk, but generally speaking, anytime someone gets bit, it's the owner of the dog that's at fault, at law. And that's, and that, and that's something that we're, that we're regularly seeing. Guys, with that, we'll take a short break. We've got lots more to, uh, to get to. In the meantime, reaching out to Savannah or Albert or their teams. Uh, keep the number. Uh, have a chat. It won't cost you anything, right? one 821 5900 The email address we always use is help at disabilityrights.ca. And simply go to disabilityrights.ca. On the media page, you will find links to our long-running TV show as well. Also 30 minutes, so have a look at that when you got to, you got some time. We'll continue. Short break here on the uh, Friday edition of the Disability Law Show. Stand by.
The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. This is the Disability Law Show. All right, welcome back. Thanks so much for hanging in. Disability Law Show, get your weekend underway here in just a couple minutes. First, want to get to uh, some more things. And uh, first of all, the phone number to reach out to Albert or Savannah or their team, one 855 help at ca. And with that, I want to get to the uh, topic for discussion, uh, Albert, that we mentioned off the top of the show, and that would be importance of documentation in all aspects of life. But for the next few minutes, we're talking about how it relates to personal injury and disability, pal. What uh, what do you say about that? Absolutely. I mean, any time in these personal injury cases, really, there's two things that we're trying to ultimately prove, right? We're trying to prove, A, who's at fault, and then B, what are the value of your injuries? What are the value... What, what, what are the extent of damages at law? And uh, in order to prove that, I mean, I, I, I can tell the other lawyer, I can tell the insurance company that my client's really injured, but that's only going to go so far. Really, at the end of the day, what is going to prove my client's case is documentation, right? Contemporaneous documentation at, that actually proves that my client, for example, fell at a certain time um, and, and that they have injuries which actually stem from that particular fall. And it's unbelievably important in most of these cases that you're able to establish both of those types, uh, both of those types of issues. One, you can establish who's actually at fault. So if you fall, it's really important that you take photos of the area, that you're able to establish exactly where you fell, when you fell, what the lighting looked like. Uh, and often what happens is if you don't do that, sometimes these different entities, if you slip and fall in a, in a grocery store or you slip and fall in some ice, they're going to clean it up right away because they don't want to be proven mm-hmm. or shown that they were negligent, that they didn't maintain a certain area. And it's important that you do that as quick as possible. If there's witnesses, I mean, obviously the first thing that you're thinking when you fall isn't let let me take a bunch of photos, <laughs> let me see who let me see who witnessed this, right? That's not the first thing that comes to mind, but it really is the first thing that should come to mind, right? You should be looking at who else who else saw me fall, who else saw this car accident, and if if you see someone and, and you weren't you're not with someone that you know, get their phone number. Ask yeah. if you can get, get their account of what happened later on because it's going to be unbelievably useful. Otherwise, it's just your word against the insurance company. And sometimes those cases can be tough to prove without that sort of contemporaneous evidence. So take photos. Ask someone else to take photos if you're too injured. Uh, keep, keep a diary. Write, write down what happened. Ask for the incident report. Keep everything in writing to the extent that you can. All of this is very important. And then from a damages standpoint or the extent of your injuries, you generally want to prove that all of these types of things, all these types of injuries happen contemporaneously. And so if you are injured, you don't want to just go home and just sit on it for a couple months and, and wait and see what happens. Go to a doctor. Make sure that you complain about all of your different issues because otherwise it's going to seem like it didn't happen at that time. And if you go to the doctor and you complain about your various issues, usually the doctor is actually going to write all of these things down. You can also you can also make some sort of an email uh, email chain to either a loved one or to anyone else, um, outlining what your injuries were. That will help. Keeping a diary will help. 
uh, keeping invoices or any bills for any ambulances you take or any taxis you take. But generally speaking, the, the general premise is keep as much documentation as you can because there's no substitute for proving your injuries or, or who's at fault in these, in these personal injury cases with proper documentation. I can't underscore that enough. Devan, anything to add? Uh, no, I think you did a good job here. Um, I, I agree. Uh, a lot of people miss uh, doing that, and then they're questioned on why didn't you do this or that. You know, you say that uh, at the time of the accident, you felt uh, headaches. Uh, why did you not go to a doctor or walking clinic or anyone else until two weeks later? Mm-hmm. I mean, know that it really happened. You know, that's just the way it is. Insurance companies are going to comb through documentation subsequently after the accident. And if they don't see contemporaneous notes, they don't see that you've gone and got treatments immediately or, you know, they're keeping invoices and bills for anyone that's helping you around the home, uh, perhaps with anything you need in terms of attendant care, you know, like taking care of yourself, uh, washing you if you need help washing or cutting your grass if you need help with that, cleaning the snow, uh, getting rid of, uh, you know, whatever whatever things you have around the home that, that you can't do yourself. I mean, if you don't have documentation, you're going to have a tough time because the insurance company is going to question whether or not that's legit or not. You know, and, and to your point, uh, you know, Savannah and Albert. I mean, you know, we're we're you know we're barking at what's going to be a lovely summer here. So if you you know if you trip on uneven sidewalk, chances are it'll be there next week when you go back. But winter time with ice, temperature changes, and melting—that's super important to what you guys are saying, right? Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. And and I mean, obviously. Obviously, ice on a sidewalk could change in a matter of hours. So at, at the end of the day, you want to take photos and make sure the documentation's as contemporaneous as possible or as close to the time that you actually fell as possible. And generally speaking, obviously, I mean, there's a general general idea that you pay, you pay someone in cash and maybe, maybe it'll be a little bit cheaper. Uh, uh-huh. But generally speaking, you want to avoid doing that, right? Because there's not going to be any paper trail. Yeah. At law, in in these personal injury cases, you want as much of a paper trail as possible. Period. Want to get to a uh, to an email here, guys? With our remaining time, this comes from Tom. By the way, anytime you want to send an email to Albert or Savan or any other time, might be on the show later. If not, uh, that's okay. It's help at disabilityrights.ca. Tom says, hey, guys, my brother was out uh, walking his dog uh, when he crossed the street and a car hit him. He was in between jobs. He's worked as a server at a restaurant for the last 10 years before COVID, and due to COVID, lost his job. He's 32. The problem is that he broke his right ankle badly and needed two surgeries. The doctor says that he may have problems now uh, with how he walks in the future. I'm just wondering if he could do something about this. He was already being interviewed by two high-end restaurants downtown just last week. This is a great email, John. Uh, Tom, I'm very sorry what happened to your brother, but I'm really happy that you wrote in. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a very important scenario because, I mean, now, especially in the summer, we do see an uptick in uh, uh, pedestrian versus car types accidents. And especially now, post-COVID, right, more people are on the road, more people are driving. Uh, you're going to see this happening. And why it's important is this. Uh, because when you have a car that strikes a pedestrian, there is what's called a reverse onus. That means that the person who was driving the vehicle needs to prove that they were not at fault. It's no longer a situation where the person who was injured it needs to uh, uh, show or prove that the driver was at fault, which is what usually happens in personal injury cases. 
uh, typically when you're dealing with a car or car collision, when you're dealing with slip and falls, if you are claiming compensation for your injuries, you have to demonstrate, you got to prove that whoever you say caused the accident, in fact, caused it, that they were negligent. When you're dealing with a car that strikes a pedestrian, that onus is reversed. The driver is presumed to be at fault. Hmm. That's really important because it makes it easier for Tom's brother to see compensation now. And I want to get into the compensation, the type of injury that we're dealing with here. Now, his brother, 32 years old, was between jobs. So you just imagine that the insurance company is going to take the position that because he was between jobs and the fact that he can't go back to work for the, for the next little while, that that's not something that the driver is on the hook for. The insurance company is going to say, well, he's out of a job. There's no income loss here. Except the problem for the insurance company here is that clearly Tom's brother has been working as a server for the last 10 years. So we have that history, that credibility. And he was just being interviewed by two high-end restaurants downtown. And now, again, post-COVID, there is a huge hiring spree. He's going to be in, in demand. He is in demand. So the insurance company is going to have a tough time here arguing that he's not entitled to income loss. So we're dealing, you know, we're dealing with a with a broken ankle, requiring two surgeries. I can tell you that in my personal valuation here, if I were to look at this just superficially without knowing more details, I'd say that Tom's brother is probably entitled to anywhere from sixty to eighty thousand dollars, by my well. estimate, for pain and suffering only. Okay, for his ankle fracture. Now, there's going to be other things here. If he's unable to go back to work for the next while, what does that mean? Does it mean he's going to be losing, what, $5,000 a month, $2,000? Extrapolate that. What happens if he's going to have issues with mobility now into the future, right? As a server for the last 10 years, this is a physically demanding job. He needs his legs. He's not sitting by a desk. So, so we're going to start looking at, okay, well, what are those mobility issues? We may need to hire an expert. We may need to figure out what the prognosis is so that we can then extrapolate what the potential income losses are. I can tell you that I've had cases like this in the past, both as a defense lawyer defending those kinds of cases, as well as a lawyer representing individuals with, with fairly significant ankle injuries. I've acted for couriers, I've acted for uh, laborers, I've acted for a whole bunch of different people that suffered severe ankle injuries. And I had settled cases uh, like that, I can tell you, for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. Absolutely critical, Tom, that we get in touch with your brother, explain to him all the options, and start the process very quickly. There's other issues. I can do a whole show just on this particular scenario. There's actually benefit, short, and all that kind of stuff. Tom, we don't have enough time here, but we'll get in touch after the show, and we'll discuss with him all his options. Tom, nicely done. Good move, uh, reaching out by email and the phone number you can use now, of course, to have that further conversation. That'll do it for another Friday. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in and supplying us uh, with emails and other contact uh, you'll be uh, responded to after the show. Here's how you get in touch if you haven't done so. So far, one 821 5900 the phone number, email that we just used, help at disabilityrights.ca. And for any further questions, if you want to type it into your uh, phone, your laptop, your tablet, simply go to mydisabilityquestions.com. You can search it, too, to see if your question or one very close to yours has been asked in the past. If not, leave it there, and it will get answered again, mydisabilityquestions.com. Have a great weekend, and we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.